I'm McKinney Smith. In 2009, while going through a divorce, I decided to jump straight into entrepreneurship. In 2012, I lost my sister and asked myself, what legacy do I want to leave behind? Since then, I've become a serial entrepreneur, helping other women publish their books, produce their podcasts, and reach their big goals to walk in their greatness. I realized the importance of sharing our stories of resilience and how it can be another's guide to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. We are blessed to be a blessing. So get ready to be blessed with an inspiring testimony. Hey, Legacy Leavers, thank you for joining us in the Welcome My Stilettos podcast, the top 1.5% most popular show in the world, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their voice so they can create impact, prosperity, and legacy. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Dawn Dixon Apagane. She is a serial entrepreneur and inventor with over 20 years of experience in technology entrepreneurship, marketing, and business development. She has founded five successful cash flow positive companies since 2001, including Flat Out of Heels stylish rollable flats that are a solution to stiletto sore feet, and Popcom, a software company to revolutionize automated retail and is considered to be a pioneer in the equity crowdfunding space. She's been featured in Forbes, The Breakfast Club, Entrepreneur, Black Enterprise, and much, much, much more. So please welcome to the show, Dawn. Thank you for having me today. I really appreciate it. I'm excited. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. I've listened to some of your previous episodes, and not only do I love your energy and the info that you share, but I love how big you think. Listening to women like yourself truly, truly does inspire me, so it's an honor to have you on the show today. So thank you. Thanks. My pleasure. (laughs) So I love to start the show with a little bit of an icebreaker question, just to figure out, you know, before you got to where you are presently, you know, starting from the very beginning, because as kids, you know, kids have these vivid imaginations and they think big before society tries to limit their beliefs. And I know right now you are still like an amazing big thinker, but as a little girl, what did you want to be before, you know, culture and society tried to limit your beliefs? That's a good question. I'm really, as you're talking, I'm thinking like, what did I want to be? <laughs> it changed so many times and it still changes what I want to be changes all the time. I change what I want to be. But I think when I was a kid, I used to want to be an um, archaeologist. I love history. And then I changed it to being a history teacher. And so I actually entered college as an uh, education major to be a history teacher because I just love history. And I've always wanted to like I used to see myself as a kid, like, going in those digs in Egypt and finding, like, the next King Tut tomb with gold. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, it didn't happen that way, but that is something that I still hope one day I can go and, you know, go on a dig site and do that for fun. I love it. Okay, so tell us the journey of how you got to where you are today. Um, you know, take us through building the companies and, you know, how you got into tech. Well, that's really long, so I'm trying to condense it. It's <laughs> a 20-year journey. 
But, um, you know, I changed my major in college to ultimately to broadcast journalism and um, started just, you know, walking towards a career in broadcasting and communication because I also love that as well. And um, while I was in my major in school, in my final year, my senior year, we had to work in our career field. And my job at a news station is kind of what led me to tech because when I worked at the news station, my job was nothing that I thought it was going to be. It wasn't doing anything on air production. It was working at the um, Internet desk, which back then online news was a new thing, and my job was to upload the news from the reels um, onto FTP FTP onto the server. Mm -hmm. And so that was like my first kind of like experience with, work in technology, you know, you know, in, in a workforce, you know, obviously my previous experience was just like working on the computer. But when I realized that, you know, technology was emerging and to be able to just like work with these servers and I just felt like it gave me a competitive advantage. And so I then went to school after I graduated from my degree in journalism, I went back to school to study information technology. And at the time it was just like, my idea was to strengthen my ability to get a job because I felt like if I can, if I have these skills and technology, I'm more valuable in the newsroom and then I can eventually move my way up in the ranks. So initially it was just like to be a better candidate to be hired. But mm-hmm. then once I learned tech and really got into my program and learned how to code and learn all of these things, I was like, okay, wow, this is way more interesting to me than journalism and the, the, the opportunity for income and wealth creation was just way more. The jobs mm-hmm. were starting out at 20000 for in journalism, and they were starting out at forty to 45000 in the field that I was studying in technology. So for me as a 21-year-old, it was a clear choice. So I want to make mm-hmm. 20000 a year or 45000 a year. That was an easy switch of mm-hmm. career choice. And um, so I went and took a job working in technology, working in marketing where I was really using my technology skills and while I was in that job, I just really was not feeling fulfilled. And so I started working on my first tech company, my first business with a friend of mine while I was working at Nationwide in this job, and that was in 2001. And after eight months, and I'm doing this fast, I'm condensing fast because I'm to have questions. But after eight months of working there, I quit my job um, because my own business was really taken off. And that really just is what catapulted me into entrepreneurship, and I've been an entrepreneur full-time since then. I started after um, my first business, The Urban Star. I ran that company with my partner for six years. We decided to close it just because we were interested, both interested in pursuing other things, and we didn't have an understanding of how to build a team or how to scale. So it was like, well, if we don't do it ourselves, we got to shut it down, which based on what I know now, that was not the right approach. I could have just did it way different. Mm-hmm. But we closed it down and I started a consulting company. And at the time, it was just like I was one of the one of the only experts, especially black experts in online marketing. And so I started a, a consulting company that I still have to this day that I work with companies on consulting various, various things. And then after doing that, you know, consulting and working with people, it then led me to start flat out of heels because a part of my consulting was doing a lot of different events. For my clients, and I see women walking, you know, barefoot after the club. Of course, myself, <laughs> I was no stranger to the club, and um, wearing heels and feet hurt. So I said, you know, let me 
I think this is a good idea. I've never started a product before. Everything I've done was pretty much Internet-based. It would be cool to have a product. And so I said, okay, I'm going to start this company, Flight Out of Heels, and Rescue Women's Feet from Painful High Heels. But I thought to myself, how can I really solve this problem by getting these shoes to women when their feet hurt the most? And that's when I got the idea to sell shoes and vending machines. Mm-hmm. And it was just really like a distribution. You know, when we're, getting, when we're thirsty and we're on the go, you can go to a vending machine and get a beverage. Why can't you get other things from a vending machine when you're on the go? That was just my thought process, and that got me into the vending world, which once I got into the vending world selling shoes, I realized that the vending industry was just very behind in technology. And, of course, I have technology skills. I went to school for tech, and so I felt that it was a chance for me to really disrupt the industry by integrating technology into these vending machines, which were really like the flip phones. You know, I compare like my vending machines to iPhones and Mm -hmm. the the machines that were out before to like a flip phone, just very basic functionality. Mm -hmm. So then that led me to another, you know, business, which is Popcom, which I developed just to build software that will make vending machines and kiosks smarter by integrating face recognition and machine learning to allow retailers to collect customer data. And so as you see through my journey, like all of my businesses were pretty much started out of like my own interest, my own need, and things that people in my network told me that they needed. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I started another two more businesses in the past two years, which were local businesses in my hometown. I started a restaurant and a yoga studio. And again, I just start businesses when there's a need and there's a demand and an opportunity. I love, okay, so, and this is, I'm just going to like summarize based like for the women who are listening, because sometimes there are women that feel that they only have to do one thing or focus on one thing. But I love how your curiosity and, um, you know, you providing a need and something, you know, things based off even your own needs have expanded to you being able to have different streams of income and to provide so many different solutions for other people. Like a common thing that we talk about on the show is your pain births your purpose. And (laughs) I was laughing when you were talking about, you know, when your feet hurt after the club. And I'm like, I remember when I first started a walk in my stilettos from my first book in 2014, and I came across your Instagram page back then. And I was like, this idea for these flat out heels are brilliant. (laughs) Like that pain. From wearing stilettos. It is real pain. <laughs> it is real, real pain. <laughs> but I just, I love your innovation and the way that you even think. Because I know, I think your machines, um, I think you were one of the first like vending machines to accept credit cards. Yeah. On the top, yes. Yes. One of the first. Now, when I started, less than 5% of vending machines accepted credit cards when I started doing this in 2012. Now more. I mean, because they have to. Mm-hmm. You can't. You have to you have to adapt to the times, and it was just like a slow moving a slow moving industry. Mm-hmm. And I definitely am a part of the the group of people that helped to push it forward for sure. So when I was you know listening to some of your previous episodes and stuff, just even the way that you think, like you sound like someone who just naturally thinks big. You know, there's a lot of people where we need to be motivated to think big or coach to think big. Like I would love to know if you even know, like where does that stem from? I think for me, that's how I am. That's my personality, but I feel like it's validated by my years of study 
of other successful people and entrepreneurs and understanding that what it takes to succeed is actually thinking big. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the foundation of, if you look at every big successful company or entrepreneur, the, the idea is a big idea. It doesn't have to be a complex idea or something that's extremely, you know, different or innovative, but it has to be big, big meaning a big enough market, you know, a big enough mission and a, a big enough vision to expand beyond, like, your immediate audience. Mm-hmm. So I know that you're a big fan of blockchain, which is, like, the way of the future. So for those that are listening that have no idea what, the, you know, what that is, because I know we're on episode 150, and I don't believe there's any woman that's come on that's been speaking about blockchain or have, have done some of the things that you've done. So I'd love if you could just give a short, I guess, explanation to those ladies who are listening, like what that even is. Yeah. I mean, the simplest way to put it is blockchain is a digital ledger that multiple people contribute to, to validate and verify transactions and they can be stored there securely. When you think about a ledger, it can go like rewind your mind back to the days before online banking where you had to, and maybe people haven't even lived that life because I'm a little older, but where you had to literally write all of your banking transactions down <laughs> in a ledger, you know, and you wrote it by hand. And in the older days of accounting, your accountant kept a ledger. It wasn't before, it was before QuickBooks and all these things. But the thing about that is one person is controlling that ledger and you can write whatever you want and, and it could be have, it could have errors or it could be erased or, you know, things could be, not kept keep track of, but in this type of a ledger, the blockchain, multiple people verify. It's it's a community effort by the different engineers that are working on the blockchain to verify transactions. So in the case of like a bank, I'm giving an example. If I spend a hundred dollars, I could I will write it in the ledger, and then the other people will verify. Yes, Dawn spent a hundred dollars. I am saying that she did, and now it's a permanent transaction. Can't go back and erase it. So that's the same thing about the blockchain. We submit these transactions to a digital ledger, then other people verify, yes, Dawn is the person that did send this Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It did come from her wallet. It is going to that other wallet. And now the transaction is complete and it cannot be reversed. So it's just a way to like keep transactions secure and, and verified. And I li- really see the block- blockchain technology like I saw the World Wide Web and the internet technology in the late 90s because it's just a way to do so many things. And I feel like we've only scratched the surface of what we can use this digital ledger for. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm a huge fan of Dr. Brene Brown. And she has this thing where she talks about um, being the first, only, or different. And, you know, when I was um, doing my research and stuff on you, like, um, I found that you're the first female to do a token offering or the first female founder to raise over a million dollars in equity funding campaigns. And, you know, you, you know, one of first for all these different things, like how did it feel? And I want to say, how does it, how did it feel? And were you treated differently? Cause I know people usually doubt what they don't see or can't, or can't understand. Like, what was that process like for you being first only or different? Um, again, it's just kind of in my DNA. I definitely have considered myself an outlier ever since I read the book by Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers, and realized, okay, there is a name for people like me who are just mm-hmm. always outside of the box or thinking differently and walk into our own, you know, beat of our own drum. So I'm used to that, and, and, I, and it's, it's been helpful for me in my life, thinking differently or having a different approach. People have pretty much received it well. 
um, even our very first business ever, we completely innovated the way you find out what's going on in the city. We created a website and an email list, which in these days, that's nothing. Everybody has an email list and a website. But in mm-hmm. 2000, they did not. And the way that you found out about how to go to, a, what events to go to is by getting a flyer or reading a newspaper or word of mouth because there was no social media and there was not text. So, again, just changing. People, are, people have been always open and, you know, receiving things if it, if it benefits them and, and, and changing things where it's beneficial for more people than just me. And the mm-hmm. same thing for crowdfunding. I mean, when I changed the way and was the first female founder globally to raise over a million dollars in a crowdfunding campaign and the first female founder to do a secure token offering over a million dollars, it just really was like open people's eyes to, wow, I, I can get money a different way. This is really different and innovative. And then to the investors, they're like, wow, I finally can get in on early stage deals. I, I can finally get opportunity to invest. So it was, it was well received. I mean, there mm-hmm. were some haters. But I feel like the haters were just like jealous because they didn't think of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, instead of saying, you know what, let me take this and do it too. I think they just were hoping that I wouldn't do well because the, 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 the path that they went, it wasn't to their, their greatest advantage. You know, a lot of people went the VC, the venture capital route, and they had to give up a lot of their business. They, they lost a lot of their equity. They lost a lot of their control because at the time, that was the only way that we knew of. Mm-hmm. And so when I came in and brought this new way, People that did it the old way and worked their butt off to get there, they were kind of resentful, like, hold on a minute. I've worked hard to raise all this money. And you mean to tell me she's just going to come in and just raise it from people on Facebook and Instagram? Mm-hmm. So I feel like that was the resistance. But overall, it, everything that I have done has been very well received, which is why I'm still around today. Because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the thousands of people that support me in multiple different ways. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. So, I mean, you've, like you said, you've had the experience of having a lot of support um, and you've mentioned, you know, some of the things that you've had with the the resistance from people. Like what advice would you give to a woman that's listening right now that is holding herself back because she's afraid of what someone else is going to say or, you know, how people are going to react to, you know, maybe a vision that she has that isn't common right now. I mean, I think you just got to use that doubt to, to fuel you and that uncertainty to, to fuel you and move forward. It always comes down to, you know, this, this business or this idea that you're doing or that you're trying to build, is there a real need for it? I mean, is there a market for it? My thing is if, if, that, if that's in place and you can make money doing this and you can grow this business, it doesn't matter what people say because they, mm-hmm. don't, they don't know more than you. Yep. They, you know, a lot of people speak on things they have no understanding about or very limited understanding about, and they don't take time to read and research. So they're just speaking off the cuff about what their opinion is. And I mean, nobody cares for me about <laughs> people's opinion. Right. If you haven't done any research, if you're not an expert, if you don't know more than me about this, I really, there's not much to say. And I just, that's how I tell people to approach it is you have to be very confident in your abilities and what you're doing and know that you are the expert and you should be the expert. If you don't feel like you're the expert, you're not ready to start this business. You need to do more research. You need to do more work because Mm -hmm. you do need to be a subject matter expert in whatever you do. Absolutely. I agree with you a thousand percent. I tell, especially, you know, some of my clients or people that come to me through Instagram, don't be taking advice from people that you wouldn't switch places with or that are not like in the ring fighting with you because Everybody thinks they're an expert with their opinions on stuff, but they're only really speaking from 
opinion. It's not actually and things that they know how to do. Limited knowledge and experience. Extremely yes. limited knowledge and experience in most cases. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with the pandemic, a lot of people either had to um, pivot their business or adjust their business to the times. I would love to know how has your journey been like since the pandemic? Like, how has it affected how you serve? Well, in multiple ways. You know, I've, I have multiple businesses and they were all impacted differently. Um, I'm CEO of Popcom and this is my primary um, thing that I work on. Anything else is pretty much a, a passion project. And for Flatout, I have a CEO. So for Flatout, I can speak there. I hired a CEO in 2020 because I realized, like, I needed a CEO for a long time, but I didn't have the right person. But I definitely couldn't continue to try to manage these businesses on my own, especially mm-hmm. with the global supply chain issues and delays that COVID created. So we were having a hard time just getting inventory. And so I needed someone to really stay on top of that. And and so um, I pivoted in that way of kind of just delegating and just kind of walking away and just being from a distance, this business that I started 10 years ago. So I could focus on the most important thing that was at hand, which was Popcom, where we were manufacturing our machines in China and getting ready to go to market in early 2020. And, you know, I had spent a lot of time in 2019 and my team was over um, in China building things and then COVID hit. And it's like, oh, China is where it started, allegedly, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. so then it's like, we can't go to China. We have to figure out a whole new plan and solution to get our products out. And we had to move our supply chain to the United States from China, which definitely set us back about a year. Then we had to think about, wow, these are, these are kiosks and, and now it's COVID and they're saying you can get COVID in the air and on the hands and touching stuff. So how will people feel about touching a kiosk to order? So mm-hmm. then we had to look at the w- different types of screens that are out there and find screens that have, you know, antibacterial film on them or easy, easy to be clean or or screens that could be used with a, a pen, a glove, or a stylus. So that was also very important to adapt to just the new, the way things have changed, or we perceive that things may change because now people don't even care. Like I see people mm-hmm. all the time and they are just touching and doing everything. <laughs> so, but last year we had to change because we didn't know what was going to happen. With the yoga studio, I was prepping in 2019 to open the studio and then COVID. So it's like, this is not a great time to have people in a physical class next to each other. Everything was moving online. And I decided to not do the yoga studio. Then the opportunity came back around um, this summer and I, and I went ahead and um, got it back in motion because now I see people are more comfortable being in person again, even though a lot of things are virtual. So I think the lesson of just being adaptable, um, being open to change, being, being open to pivot, paying attention to what the what people and what the market is ready for and knowing that it's okay to pause and put things on hold. No one thinks you're a failure if you take a break and step back and identify what's, what's the right approach, especially in times of uncertainty like these. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As, as someone on the outside observing, um, you know, just the things that you've done and who you are as a person and just even talking to you, there's so many amazing qualities that I can obviously see, but I would love to know what you feel is your superpower. I definitely feel like my superpower is um, communicating and being relatable and being able to pretty much relate to most anyone, fit into most any rooms. And that's why I feel like I've been able to attract over 7,000 investors from now, I think, 15 countries, 
I think all 50 states at this point, and, and they don't all look like me, but people that just align with what I'm doing or who I am or just feel comfortable. Um, and then I also feel like my superpower that aligns with just building communities and um, not being afraid to, like, take the road, the road less traveled. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thick skin, I, I think. I love, love, love that. So you said, you know, when you, uh, you spoke about being able to attract. So speaking of attracting, um, I wanted to, to switch gears a little because our listeners are lovers of love and so am I. And um, I know that you attracted your significant other through social media. <laughs> and uh, I would love if you're okay with it, like, you know, to share that story of how that happened. Yeah, that's funny. Um, we actually have a book coming out on October 29th called Started in the DM. Ooh, I love and, it. Congrats. Um, yeah. Yeah, Started in the DM. And basically, that's exactly what happened. You know, he he was in my DM for a while, wasn't really paying much attention. Not like he was, like, shooting a shot all the time. He would just make comments or, you know, re- respond to a, one of my stories or something. But then he responded to one of this meme that I posted that said, find a woman that doesn't need to be taken care of and then take care of her. And he mm-hmm. replied and said, you know, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and financially is a given. And I liked that answer. I liked that was sounding like what I was aligned with because I do want to be taken care of by my partner um, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and financially, even though I can fully take care of myself in all of those ways. Right, right. I do desire that. And every woman, woman doesn't, you know, but I do, I am old fashioned in that way. And I do want that type of man. And I felt like in these days, it's kind of hard to find that type of alpha man that thinks that way. So it attracted me to reply to his DM. And then I said, okay, well, he said, can I, can we talk on the phone? I'm like, you know, use, use my number for what it's for meaning don't text me to death because I don't have time to be texting you all the time. <laughs> and I don't have time to be W-Y-D and just all these, you know, abbreviations yep. for how you doing. And I like, don't do that to me. I'm not a millennial and I don't, I'm not interested. So yeah. he came correct. He, he called me. We talked on the phone three hours and we talked every day since then. And we got married after six months. So it was, it just, you know, it was a me setting clear expectations as well. I feel like a lot of times women don't express like how they want to be treated, communicated with, and men can't, they don't, they, they can't guess what you like. Like they don't just know you don't like the text or they don't just know. So it's, I think it's important for us to be clear um, as women of what we're looking for and what we, what our expectations and needs are. And then see if we find somebody to align with that. And it just so happened that on both sides, we just checked off all the boxes for each other. I love it. I have goosebumps right now. Um, like I said, I like the audience and myself, big, huge lovers of love. And I met, you know, a, a couple of my exes <laughs> through social media. Mm-hmm. But I love to hear, you know, the happy endings and and how you've even, you know, set those standards. Because sometimes I feel like people who are either used to approaching people through their DMs um, that don't have standards don't understand. You know, I, I always say like don't come into my dms with hi or like you said the the wyd question mark like no <laughs> yeah, don't, like, don't come, come with those one words yeah <laughs> or just people or men that don't want to make plans or don't want to you know take the lead in setting up a date and um i'm a, i'm, a, I'm a kind of old-fashioned I, I like chivalry i like to be courted i want you to make plans i want you to you know come up with an idea do you want to go to this restaurant at this time 
on this mm-hmm. day. Not like, oh, you you want to get something to eat? Okay, well, where do you want to go? No. Yes. No, yes. think of it. Invite me. Yes. <laughs> Take yes. me out. And so that's, that's my expectation. And that's, you know, that's how I feel like I was successful in this relationship. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm 41, so I can totally agree with you. It, there needs to be like some some standards out here, and like you said, millennials, not all, but you know, some of them, their their approach just it's not working, not working at all. But it's not. I mean, it's not. It's it's what it's it's what they it's what gets accepted. Like you mm-hmm. don't know you're doing something wrong until someone says, "Don't do it." Yes. And so women have to. Um, not complain about, oh, this guy does this or that. Tell him they, if he does it correct, then he doesn't care. But a lot of guys just don't really know. Um, they didn't really have anybody to teach them this. Where where do they learn um, mm-hmm. this if they didn't have a man in their life to teach them that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So speaking of learning, <laughs> what would you say has been your biggest failure in the past year? And what did you think you learned from it? I think the biggest failure has been not properly vetting some of my partners that we Mm -hmm. work with in our business, not asking for references or doing deep diligence on them from a legal perspective to see if they ever been through litigation or been sued. Mm -hmm. I've chose the partner. I'm not going to name the partners, but I chose a partner with a company that just presented themselves to be a lot more than they really were and have their capabilities to be more than they were. And if I would have just taken some time to not take their word for it and do some research and not just talk to the clients that are happy with them, but talk to the clients that may not be happy, I would have got a lot of insight and been prepared. So that was that not doing that definitely did set me back. Mm, That's yeah. I can totally understand that. What is one thing that most people don't know about you? Um, most people don't know that, um, you know, I feel like my work and my career life is just a small fraction of who I am. It doesn't really define me. I really am more defined myself by being, a, you know, my spiritual side. I'm a light worker. I do energy healing, training to be a yoga teacher. Um, I do holistic healing. I've, I've worked with a lot of people who are sick to help them come up with herbs, herbs to heal themselves, including my mother and more recently my aunt. Mm-hmm. who was on our deathbed uh, two months ago and then now back driving and, and living her life. Um, so that's my real passion is actually holistic, natural healing, um, energy, and a lot of different indigenous practices. So mm-hmm. people know me for like tech and, and work and business, but those things, my, my work, um, it allows me to have the resources to really fund my passion, which is why I opened a yoga studio and a vegan restaurant because I believe in providing my community with these type of resources and I can use my, the wealth that I've created from my businesses to then give back in those ways. I love it. And, you know, thank you for even just speaking about the holistic side of things. You know, sometimes I'm going to say some people, um, I guess based on their own experiences and, and what have you, you know, they, they only go down one, right. They're kind of one route. They're kind of, you know, narrow minded in terms of, um, the possibilities that are out there. So when you spoke about healing, you know, your family members and holistic healing, like I'm a true believer in that. I've spoken about that on a couple of most recent episodes because I've been able to heal. I had like three cancer scares and I had was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and all these different things and challenges. 
but because I created a holistic lifestyle and I practice it daily, I haven't had any health challenges. I haven't, you know, had to see a doctor in the last couple of years. I've been like, knock on wood, I've been feeling the greatest that I've felt in my entire 41 years of life because of holistic healing. Yep. I've healed myself from a few things. I mean, my family, my immediate family, my husband and daughter, we've been very healthy um, through the entire pandemic period. So I do uh, definitely give credit to the the natural um, herbs and healing and just different holistic practices that I do, even down to just, you know, um, listening to sound frequencies for healing and Mm -hmm. doing breath exercises and and doing yoga and the stretching and I mean, all of that comes together. It's not just one thing, like, okay, eat right. Like, there's so many things mm-hmm. um, for mind, body, and spirit connection because, you know, the, the de-stressing is a really important thing for our community. So if we just really focus on that mind, body, spirit alignment, and removing the stress from ourselves can really help to, to eliminate um, possible health challenges, just getting your mind right. And we don't really think about that. You can still eat healthy and still get sick because, you're making yourself sick um, emotionally, mentally, yes. um, in, in other ways, energetically. Yes, absolutely. You know, the, the, the mind-body-spirit part is essential. Um, you know, a couple of times I've spoken on different panels and they want to know, like, you know, self my self-care routines and things like that. And when I break it down for them, that it's broken into mind, body, and soul healings that I do daily every single day. It's not just one thing. And they're like, oh, that sounds like a lot. And it's like, do you want to live longer? Do you want to be healthy? <laughs> like, it's a priority. It's, you know, it's part of yeah. staying alive. Okay, so as yeah. a light worker, I would love to know, like, when and where are you the happiest? Um, I'm the happiest in, in nature, unplugged, not, not with my phone. I love to travel. I'm, I'm the happiest, like, just exploring. So we, we travel a lot. And every time we travel, we go and you know, unplug somehow and spend some time just just submerged in that culture and in that environment. Mm-hmm. Love it. So before we go to the final segment of the show, I want you to tell people where they could stay connected with you online. Yeah, definitely. You can find me on Dawn Dixon, D-I-C-K-S-O-N, everywhere. Um, if you want to engage with me on a professional level, LinkedIn is where I have all of my like conversations and chats. Instagram is like for fun and for information, but definitely don't answer serious questions on Instagram. (laughs) And I also share a lot of information and resources on Twitter. If you're interested in learning more about like fundraising or, you know, building a team or work-life balance, I have a blog that I publish new articles at least once a month on Medium. And I really encourage people to check it out. I've published a lot of information about fundraising. And I also have a fundraising strategy course that's going on on Superpeer up through November, but the replay is available. So, you know, I'm, I'm a resource. Use me as a resource as you would like. I love it. That like, that is so selfless and in, in giving of you. And I will have your direct links in the detailed section so they can just click and connect with you. They don't have to search too far. And I will definitely be doing some more um, reading up on your fundraising opportunities. Before we go, we're going to do, it's, I call this segment a walk in her wisdom. It's like a rapid fire. Um, You know, you can answer whether it be one word or one sentence. Sometimes I get super interested and break my own rules and ask you to unpack, but (laughs) I just ask you a couple of quick reflection questions and you share the first thing that comes to mind. All right. Let's start with what new belief, behavior, or habit 
has improved your life in the last five years? Definitely yoga um, has improved my life tremendously. Flexibility and my ability to control my breath, to um, center myself, to focus, to quiet my mind. I mean, that goes hand in hand with meditation. Mm -hmm. Love it. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? I'll have a big billboard that says something about, you know, eating your fruits and vegetables and drinking water and getting rest is the best vaccine you need. Mm -hmm. Okay. Name one of the most worthwhile investments that you've ever made. And that could be of money, time, or energy. Definitely my investment in myself, my, my continuous commitment to putting all of my resources behind me and betting on me and trusting myself to fill, you know, to fulfill my own dreams. And I have not let myself down. Mm, love it. And what have you become better at saying no to in the last five years? And that could be everything, everything, <laughs> anything that I feel like I say no to everything. If I don't feel like it. I say, no, it could be anything. Can you go get me this? No. Can you talk on the phone? No. Can, you know, can I have some of your food? No. Yeah. Can you speak on this panel? No. And I used to feel bad about saying no, but now it's so freeing and liberating that I'll say no so fast. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh my, I might be able to do that. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I love no, it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I, I actually started implementing that this year as well. Be after I read the book Essentialism, because it's, it was easier to say no and give me more time and energy um, and mental capacity to say yes to the things that really align with my core values. Mm-hmm. Love it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what impact do you want to have on the world? I want to leave a legacy of creating wealth in my community, generational wealth, empowering people that look like me to understand um, how to not only create wealth, but transfer wealth and be good stewards of it. So I would love to just spark like a movement of a lot of uh, black and brown families um, pulling themselves out of their current economic and financial situation. Love it. Okay. And last but not least, what do you wish women would do more of? Um, that's a good one. I wish women would do more of, let me say, I can't think of the word, less imposter syndrome. So more of having confidence that you belong in the rooms that you're in and at the tables you're sitting at and then know that you belong there and not mm-hmm. second guess yourself. So I see us having imposter syndrome way too much. Mm-hmm. But it's more of like doubling down on you, more of not needing validation from outsiders. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Don, for sharing your story and your insights and your wisdom with us. I truly, truly appreciate you. And honestly, I see nothing but great things in your future, especially after everything that you've done previously. But I, I wish you like strength, health, peace, <laughs> and freedom in everything that you do. Thank you so much. And to all of you legacy leavers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms and don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcast. And if you can think of, and I'm challenging you today to five women that would receive value from hearing Dawn's testimony, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Dawn. Her personal page is Dawn W. Dixon. And you can also tag her at popcom tech and you can tag myself at the real mckinney smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling <laughs>